Today we're going to take a look at Psalm 8. And, um, you know, a, a theme of many love songs is, I can't believe that she likes me. Okay? Um, or, or as I say, I sure married up. <laughs> um, <laughs> back in 1962, on the Ed Sullivan Show, there was a young man named Bing Crosby. And he sang a number one hit song entitled, I Can't Believe That You're In Love With Me. Okay? Some of you are like, who's this Ed Sullivan and who's this Bing Crosby? Right? And others of you are like, quit naming that modern music. Right? Uh, there's a country song by a guy named Chase Wright, and there's a line where he says, I wish I could see what she sees in me. Okay? I can't believe she would see anything in me. Okay? Psalm 8 is David saying, God, you're awesome. Your creation reveals your glory. The heavens reveal your glory. What do you see? in humanity, that you care for us. So let me read the psalm, but as we go through it, I'm going to kind of break it into four sections. First, the amazing creation, or the amazing earth God has created. Secondly, David focuses on God's amazing ways, the way he does things. Thirdly, his amazing heavens. We get into space and planets and so forth. And then finally, his amazing care for us as human beings. So here we go. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There's the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have in, uh, established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So first, let's, let's ponder the amazingness of the earth that he has created. He, he begins with, O Lord, and by the way, the first Lord is the name of God, Yahweh. So um, in the English, it looks like he's just saying, Lord, Lord, but it's Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, who has a name, who revealed his name to Moses. What's your name? Who should I tell them has sent me? Tell them I am has sent you. O Lord, 
our Lord, you're our ruler, how majestic is your name in all the earth, okay? Whether he is acknowledged by his name or not, his glory is revealed to everyone in the earth. Psalm 8.1 is basically saying the same thing that Paul says in Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In creation, his existence and his glory has been revealed so much so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse to look at the complexity and the intricacy and the beauty of the world and attribute it to either an idol or, worse, accident. All right? Accidentally, all this just came about. Okay? So, you know what, what David's doing here? He's just praising God for his creation. So let's have some fun and look at God's creation. Okay? I, I spent a lot of time this week just finding awesome pictures of God's creation. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you're a cheetah, that's an awesome picture. You know, you know how fast cheetahs go? 60 to 70 miles an hour. You know how fast gazelles go? 60 miles an hour. <laughs> you know who won? Yeah, um, the cheetah won. But this is from National Geographic. The, the photographer wrote this. So the cheetah catches the little gazelle. The cheetah started playing with the gazelle fawn like its own cub, then after some time set it free to its mother. So he was just playing, right? So no animals were killed in the preaching of this sermon, right? <laughs> Actually, there are a few who are. This is a cave in Mexico. And um, you can dive down into the pool of water. And that's not a spotlight. That is, those are sunbeams coming down into the pool and I know there are people who go, oh, I would love to dive in. I would not jump in that thing. Well, I don't know what kind of golem creature is down there. But How many of you, if you had the opportunity to jump in there, would do it? Raise your hand if you would. Okay. All right. <laughs> Ugh. I, I'm just like, I'll swim in the ocean, but not in a lake. I just don't know what's in there. So I think God said, you know, the horse is awesome, the mule is awesome, but I'm just going to make the zebra for style. <laughs> right? This, okapi, yes, an okapi. And some people look at that and go, so see, that proves evolution, right? Somehow a, a zebra and a horse got mixed, and that's what came out. Absolutely wrong. He is from the, does anybody know what family? The giraffe family. Nothing to do with the zebra. Okay? That's just down in Florida. Cypress 
trees growing out of a swamp at twilight, my favorite time of day. There's a shooting star. The, the only thing that I don't like about that picture, I look at it and I go, oh, the mosquitoes must be horrible. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so here, Mama Bear and Papa Bear are taking the baby bears to the sushi bar. And God even programmed into the salmon to swim upstream and jump right into their mouths, right? So tell me nine birds sitting together on one branch with turquoise, red, and yellow feathers is just an accident, right? And I think God gave us dogs and tennis balls just for the fun of it. First I thought, what, is that, a, is he so high that he's in the clouds? What is going on? He took a dirt bath. Yeah, he rolled in the dirt, and now he's just shaking the dirt off. Okay. Uh, here's another sushi bar. Remember Mr. Makiaki or whatever his name was? Right? And he caught the fly. He's got nothing on this lemur who can catch flies. Right? Have any of you, oh, and he's amazed at that, right? Is that a hawk or an eagle? I should ask Dave. Oh, an osprey. Okay. Um, and then God says, every time it rains, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky to remind you of my promise not to flood the world again. Northern lights. Have any of you ever seen the northern lights? Okay. Where, did you go, praise God? I hope you went, praise God. And then there's the horse. Even in the book of Job, it says this. God is speaking to Job. Did you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. With fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. Right? And you know what? Sometimes God just makes cute. There's uh, some tiger kittens playing with mom's tail. Okay? So David says, God, your, your, your creation announces your glory. Praise you for your creation. But then he goes on to talk about God's amazing ways. Out of the mouth of babies and infants... By the way, a uh, little baby, I had my, my son and daughter-in-law had a baby last week. He's doing fine. My daughter is going to have a baby this week. So, um, boom, I became a grandparent in a matter of days. Got to apply for my AARP card. <laughs> um, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. What, what this is saying is one way God reveals himself in time, in history, is by using weak things like babies to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's way of, of saying, hey, I'm real, is by getting victory through weak things. Okay? Um, this is actually, this verse is quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. Where do you think it is, Rita? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He goes to the temple and he flips over the tables. And the leaders are furious with him. Who does he think he is? But the, the weak and the lame come to him to be healed. And the children are singing the praises that they learned while he was riding his donkey into Jerusalem. So it says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, okay, he was healing people, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us. And son of David would be a reference to the Messiah. So they're saying, save us, Messiah. Save us, Messiah. So the, the chief priests and the scribes were indignant. Right? It's, it's bad enough that you flip the tables over in the temple and that you've created a riot, now these little children are screaming blasphemy. Tell them to shut their mouths. And they said to him, do you hear what they, these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read, and now he quotes from Psalm 8, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. R rather than me correcting them, you should let them correct you. I am the Messiah. I am the son of David, and I will save them. And the babbling babies have it right, while the learned scholars have it wrong. So that reminds me of the, the story of the little kindergartner girl who goes to school. It's show and tell. And people are showing their, you know, here's my toy, and here's my comic book. And she says, I brought my children's Bible. And she starts showing pictures of Adam and Eve and um, you know, Jesus teaching people. And then she says, and this is my favorite, it's Jonah and the whale. Now, the teacher was not a believer. And the teacher kind of mocked her and said, well... How do you know Jonah really was swallowed by the whale? And the little girl thought, and she said, well, when I get to heaven, I guess I'll ask him. And the teacher kind of smirked and said, well, what if when you get to heaven, Jonah's not there? And the little girl said, then you'll have to ask him. <laughs> God uses... Weak things. Remember the giant Goliath who would come out and taunt the armies of Israel? It says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, 
they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And little David says, what are you afraid of? God's on our side. I'll fight him. Saul says, go ahead. And little David defeats Goliath. Right? In uh, Judges, Gideon is the weakest in the weakest tribe. God says, go in your might and defeat the Midianites. And the Midianites, there were 135,000 troops. And Israel could only muster 32,000. And uh, God says to Gideon, the people with you are you would think he would say, too few. He says, too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. We have to reduce the number down. So he lines them all up, 32,000, and he says, uh, Gideon says to them, all right, if you're afraid, you can go home. And you know how, you know, in some army movies, they're like, if you're afraid, Go home, if not step forward, and everybody steps forward. Here, 22,000 turned and went home, leaving 10,000. And God says, still too many. We've got to reduce it down. Let's go down to the, the brook. And why this was used, I don't know, but if they lapped water a certain way, they stayed. 300 versus 135,000, and God wins. Okay? But the ultimate use of weakness to overcome strength is when God himself becomes a man and is nailed to a cross. And as he is dying on the cross, the leaders all around him mock him. He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The cross is weakness. The cross is shameful. The cross is nothing to build a religion on. The cross is certainly not something that the all-powerful, all-glorious God would submit to, yet it's the very thing God uses to save our souls. Right? David goes on in the psalm to look at the heavens. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? Now, David, as a shepherd, would go out in the fields and he would look up at the stars and there's only so much knowledge he had about how the skies worked, okay? We have so much more knowledge, but rather than our, our knowledge um, having us depreciate God, the more we know, the more we should say, how awesome is God? Now, I was going to read you some statistics and numbers and so forth, but I played a video on a Wednesday night about the size of the universe. And the best way uh, to, to take this in is to play that video again. So be amazed at the universe God spoke into existence.
and the one who created it was once laid in a manger. Wow. I ended it there because then they go into the multiverse, which is just speculation. Okay. Do you know, you know the motive behind speculating that there's a multiverse? As scientists look at the complexity of our universe and even DNA and so forth, they go, there wasn't enough time. The odds, the odds for this coming about, even in 14 billion years, is, it's too incredible. Oh, but what if we add some billions of numbers by postulating billions of universes? But there's, there's no way to prove a multiverse. Okay. All right, so all that leads to David's humbly saying, what is man that you care for us? He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man? that you're mindful of him, and the son of man, that you care for him. The New Testament actually quotes that verse and applies it specifically to Jesus, the ultimate son of man. But, but here, it's just referring to mankind in general. What, what is mankind that you're mindful of us? Verse 5 Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Darwinism reduces man to being a little higher than the animals. God says we're just a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've given him, verse 6, dominion over the works of your hands. He's put us in charge of the world and creation and animals, space travel. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Scripture says that humans are the only ones created in the image of God. And we have been appointed to have dominion over the rest of creation, not the other way around. I don't know if I told you about this or, or not. It's been about a year since my youngest son, Josh, and his wife, Sydney, got married. And that was out in San Diego. And um, we were out there for a couple days. And I went jogging along the, uh, not the river walk, the ocean walk. And on a Saturday morning, there's a pier where all the ships come in. And the fishermen sell their fish. So I'm jogging down there. And I noticed there's a group of people at the, the base of the pier protesting. And I'm like, what could they be protesting? You know what they were protesting? Eating fish. 
because fish have feelings too. Okay? And I, 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 my, my family goes, why do you do this? I, I had to. I had to talk to the guy. And we got into an interesting, intense debate. And, and at one point, I mean, we're just kind of going at it. And at one point, both of us are like, what do you th- why do you think we're doing this? <laughs> and he goes, I don't know, there's some magnetic thing about you being drawn to me and me being drawn to you to talk about this. And um, here's, here's, as I thought about that conversation, I asked myself, how do we get to a place where objecting to abortion is looked at as crazy but objecting to eating fish is virtuous. Right? I, in fact, I brought up abortion, and their group was like, oh, it's a woman's choice. So they're pro-abortion, but anti-eating fish. And that just shows you how worldview matters. If we see man as created uniquely in the image of God and above animals. And if Jesus multiplied fish and cooked fish for his disciples, John 21, and ate fish, then I can enjoy my salmon guilt-free. Right? If we see man as nothing more than the accidental evolution of atoms banging together, you're really no different than a salmon or a chicken or a cow. So it's a sin to eat one of them. Okay. Now, I I do do think we need to, to consider how we treat the animals we raise to eat, and, you know, are we treating them cruelly? Okay, that's, that's, I think that's a, one of the good things that, that has been brought up. But to equate a fish and a human is to miss the fundamental distinction between those made in the image of God and creatures that are under our domain. Let me give you three quick verses from Genesis that help here. First of all, Genesis 9.3. This is after Noah gets off the ark. And God says, Every moving thing that lives shall be for food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So in case you're feeling guilty about that ham sandwich, right? This is, this is the, uh, the okay. God has given thumbs up on eating meat, okay? Second verse, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Here, God is saying, because man is made in my image, he's my representative here on earth, He's so valuable, 
that when one man takes the life of another man, the man who took his life deserves to be killed. Okay, yes, that's a justification for capital punishment. People say, well, if you believe in capital punishment, you have a low view of life. No, you have such a high view of life that when life is taken, that life that took it deserves to be taken. Okay? And then in Genesis 1, it says this, and God blessed them. He made man. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Master it. Master the resources I've given you. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, you know, whenever we harness resources, you can praise God. In uh, Malaysia, not only have they harnessed oxen to plow, but they have all-out NASCAR races with oxen. Okay? This guy has uh, turned his elephant into a taxi to get you from island to island. Right? Um, now, as we advance with science and technology, yes, innovation can be used for bad, but it can be used for good. N nuclear medicine, nuclear war. Okay, but innovation in and of itself is not evil. And when we see it, when we see a new scientific discovery or technology, you can step back and worship God. All right, anybody know what that is? Okay. It's an X-15, world's fastest airplane. It goes 100,000 feet up, and it goes not Mach 1, not Mach 2, not Mach 3, but Mach 6, which is 4,500 miles an hour. And it went 4,500 miles an hour in 1967. I think you should step back and go, praise God that he has allowed man to invent something like that. Speaking of space and travel, you see this, this guy? Okay, first of all, we went to the moon, if you can believe that. Um, no, we went to the moon, right? And um, then we've done spacewalks. This is an astronaut doing a spacewalk untethered 
to the spaceship. He's a hundred yards away, just out there, and I guess he has a little battery pack that you push and it moves you around. What if your batteries died? <laughs> World's tallest building in uh, Dubai. Remember it was in Mission Impossible? Who was in Mission Impossible? There he is, sitting on top of the building. Barefoot. <laughs> that building is uh, nine football fields high. Okay. You can get a 325-inch large screen TV, 8K. We'd need a bigger house. I, right now, can open an app and set the house at 70 degrees from here. Maybe I'll go 69, 68, because I'm, I'm kind of sweating today. Right. You can put earbuds in your ears. And while walking around at Walmart, you're connected to your cell phone, which is connected to this thing called the internet, which has the resources of everything in the world, and you can say, hey Google, does applesauce have gluten? And like 30 different people's phones will start answering that question. How many people died in World War II? What's verse 3 of Psalm 8 again? And it'll tell you in your ear. Right? Rather than saying, look how amazing we are, who needs God? We should say, how awesome is God? that he has created man with the ability to subdue the world where we can walk in space and travel 4,000 miles an hour and ask anything about anything at Walmart and get the answer. Praise God. What is man that you are mindful of us? And of course, the greatest question, what is man that the God of all creation would die an agonizing death in humiliation to pay for my sin so I can be made right with him. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of us? So Lord, may our lives be lives of worship. When we look at creation, when we look at technology, when we look at the gospel. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's worship him.